tonight on Arena. Andy McCluskey on the new album from Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark and Ex Anthony on his cabaret-style musical about Oliver Cromwell. Five one double five one is the text. You can tweet the programme at RTE Arena. Well, a real treat coming up for fans of Orchestral Manoeuvres in the Dark on the programme this evening. They have a new album coming out at the end of this week. And a few weeks ago, I was lucky enough to get to talk to Andy McCluskey before I bring you that conversation. Let's hear some new OMD music. <laughs> Bauhaus Staircase, the title and the opening track from the new album from Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. And I'm absolutely delighted to have founding member Andy McCluskey join me on Arena this evening. You're certainly opening the album, it has to be said, Andy, um, in buoyant mood and in architectural mood. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sean. Yeah, we... Um we decided to kick down fascist art with the first track off the album. <laughs> um, now we we wanted to, you know, it was it was the first release title track for all sorts of different reasons. It's just got energy, you know. It, it's I think what I'm already getting back from people is it's nice to hear old guys still doing it with energy <laughs> and passion, you know. There's certainly a lot of energy in there too, and obviously the the reference to architecture in in Bauhaus. It brings up thoughts of architecture and, mora- and morality. Your uh, 1981 album was that. Was, were there any kind of echoes there for you? I've always been interested in in art and particularly applied art. So obviously, architecture is an applied art. Um, the Bauhaus School, for those who don't know, was in Germany between 1919 and 1933, and it was closed by the Nazis because. Um, you know, single-party totalitarian regimes don't like art. They're scared of it. They don't understand it, and it can challenge them. This is not a history lesson. It's really about 
it's 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 the the song is about the power of art, which because we we all realised when it was taken away from us during COVID, uh, our lovely government here was was putting money into the museums, which of which I'm a trustee in Liverpool Museums, but they're also putting up posters going, she may be a ballet dancer today, but she could be an accountant next year. It's like, yeah, don't waste your time on art, kids. It's a it's a total waste of time and energy and money. Well, you know what? In difficult times, they might not want to spend money on art. But actually, you need to feed your tummy and your soul, especially in hard times. So it's a call to arms for the power of art. That's what it's about. Well, what a call it is too. And I'm also struck um, by, you know, the 1980s feel of it. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way at all. It's a wonderful hark back to the, the early days of, uh, of OMD. And I wonder to what extent are you still using... Technology has moved so far in the intervening 40, 50 years... What kind of equipment are you using now? Are you still using the old synths from back in the day? Or are you a a, a modern kid at this point? I'm a modern kid. I mean, those old synths, they weighed a ton. They never stayed in tune. And you can't program them. You have to twiddle the knobs and remember and take copious notes about (laughs) what you had playing. So Paul and I use all virtual instruments in our computers and we have we have twinned matching computer systems so that i can send him a file everything loads up there he can send it back to me and you know, the purest status for it you're not still using a mellotron and a moog you don't want no we're not we're using it all because you know what i can i can record i can, I can write a song in my computer then i can shut it down and go right version 3.2 and i can come back in mm. a year's time and I can just go click on 3.2. Poof, there it all is. So, um, I mean, they sound big, fat analog sounds. Bauhaus Staircase is programmed using an 808 drum machine, but it's a virtual one. There you go. It does sound so real. That's why I had to ask the, the, the question. Um, <laughs> I, I wonder, since you're saying you're talking about Paul, Paul Humphreys um, having uh, his computer as well, which of your computers has ABBA on it? And which of your computers has Stockhausen on it? Because that's what you say. <laughs> you say that this album is is the Stockhausen and ABBA coming together. What a marriage that is! It, it, it's it's a surely it's a misunderstanding. Back in the eighties, we, we were always experimental, but we just had this knack of writing tunes. And our record company used to say to us, "Do you want to be Stockhausen or do you want to be ABBA?" And we were like, "Well, can't we be both?" And they were like, well, experimental and I said, yeah, experimental and poppy. Can we not be both? And I think that it's our kind of mantra. You know, we we, we start everything as an experiment because we want we want to challenge ourselves. All our songs start with the music first, not the lyrics. The music has to be interesting. And then we put the lyrics on top and hopefully they're the cherry on top. Um, it's yeah. If you if you heard the first draft of most of our songs, you would definitely know they were experimental. They just get worked up and worked up. Yeah, you spend you spend time to make them, I suppose, more listener friendly. Um, another interest. I mean, we've got the sense of the interest in technology. We've got the sense of the interest in politics, which is there on not only on the track we just heard, but on other tracks in the album uh, as well. Uh, paleontology, uh, Andy McCluskey, discuss mm-hmm. please. There, there's a long relationship there. You know it. Yes, I wanted to be a paleoanthropologist when I was young. I was fascinated with the journey from apes to Homo sapiens and all in between. I've always been fascinated by it. Now, of course, we're in this era where Homo sapiens have the hubris to think that we're creating our own geological epoch. 
And you know what, Sean? We probably are, actually. Because when we're gone, and let's face it, if evolution tells you anything, it's that everything dies out. We might mutate into something else. Gosh knows what. Mm. We might. But we will be gone. And maybe in 50 million years' time, if there's another sentient being, they'll go, that's where the Homo sapiens were. Look, you can see the mm. geological strata. Look, that's, look, there's the carbon and the lead and the nuclear and the plastic and the concrete. That's where the Homo sapiens were. But then they're gone now because they ruined the planet. Well, let's, let's listen how all of that uh, set of thoughts translates into music. This is the track Anthropocene. Anthropocene, the current geological epoch. Anthropocene there from OMD's latest album, uh, Bauhaus Staircase, and Andy McCluskey of Orchestra Maneuvers in the Dark with me on Arena this evening. Um, love some of the sounds that you get in there from your modern technology. What about the, the voiceover that's um, doing the countdown? <laughs> yes, first of all, it's a count up, but eventually it's a mm-hmm. countdown. Spoiler alert, if we don't, uh, for those who haven't heard the end of the track, there end up being no uh, human beings left. But... Uh, how did how was the voice got there? It's a wonderful voice. Who's whoever it is, Andy McCluskey, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's not mine. Um, when I'm sketching something in, uh, as I say, you know, they all start very abstract, and I've been write, wanting to write a song called Anthropocene for years, and I started out with I discovered this text to speak thing where you just you type you type in the words and then you pick somebody to say it and there's all these different characters who speak some of them sound very mechanical but some of them sound actually quite realistic mm. and i discovered this a few years ago so i was putting together the stuff for anthropocene and, and I, I had the 
the the, the guy counting up and down. And I, I tried to, so it's, it, yeah, it's, it's a text to speak thing. And, I, and I, it was, it was great. And then Paul sent me this piece of music that was completely not intended to be part of it. And I went, Oh, this is better than my music. I'm going to take my text to speaks and put them on this. Mm. And then when, when it came together, then I was like, Oh, now this isn't going to be one of the kind of esoteric weird little things. I'm actually going to have to sing on this. What the heck am I going to sing about? <laughs> I made myself a problem, you know. <laughs> well, you solved. Thankfully, you solved that problem. Um, and and you know, lest people think that all of this that that this is a preachy album, there are straightforward ballads on there. You know, I'm thinking of something like "Look at You Now." There's also a, a, mm-hmm. a track called "Slow Train," which to me sounds like a kind of a synthesized version of Delta Blues. I don't know if that was in your mind at the time, but it's a, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, lovely scuzzy <laughs> feel to it. You know. Yeah, well, I, I saw it as a synthesized version of kind of um, glam rock stomp, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll take Delta Blues. Take that one, um, okay. you're, you're Yeah, track- you know, no, no. You, go yeah, ahead. Go you, no, go ahead, you. No, no, I, I, was, I was just going to echo what you were saying. You know, one of the things that we learned in COVID was also that humans do have a capacity to be more kind and empathetic than perhaps we give ourselves credit for. You know, there was lots of people who were really looking out for family and friends and old neighbours. And there are several songs on this album which I, that I actually wrote as like musical hugs to particular people that I love who maybe weren't going through a great time. And these three of these songs, I promised I'd never name the people because they wouldn't let me put them on the album if I said mm. if, if I named them. But they were they were they were basically musical hugs. It was me saying, "I know things are bad, but I love you and I'm here for you, and things are going to get better." And so, yeah, there are there are beautiful, there are lovely, happy yeah. songs on there as well. There's kind songs. I tell you, a song that struck me in terms of the lyric in particular was Varushka, if I'm saying that correctly. Um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. slightly here, but more or less, if you're too afraid to die. How will you ever learn to fly? And again, something like if you're too afraid, it's not quite right to say if you're too afraid to cry, you'll never learn how to say goodbye. That sounded to me like, a, you know, a, a, a pair of guys who've been around for a long time in the music business have learned that sometimes you have to fail to succeed. It has that feeling of it. It wasn't intended to reflect our history, but there was indeed a conversation going on for the last few years between myself and Paul Humphreys. We were both very, very proud of the last studio album we made, Punishment and Luxury. Mm. I mean, it even charted in the top five in the UK. Huge success, we, yeah. We, we, we thought, wow, you know. And then we started to think, can we do one that's as good as that? Because after 45 years... It's quite cool to be an orchestral manager. You know, people say nice things about us, like we're we're influential and iconic in our genre. I was like, ooh, I'll take that. And then we were like, so do we want to make a crap album? <laughs> what are, what are we, do we dare make another album? And Paul's attitude was, might be possibly because he was locked down in a nice house in the south of France and he'd just become a dad again at 61. He was kind of like, no, I'm kind of happy to leave it. You know, why don't we, no, punishment, let's let's not make a bad one. Let, let's not. And I went, well, I'm sorry, I'm stuck at home in bloody raining Liverpool with nothing else to do. I'm writing an album. <laughs> <laughs> and so we weren't afraid to try and fly. And I think that... Um, 
the feedback we're getting back so far on the album is incredibly positive. Yeah, well, you can add my my positive feedback into that for sure. I'll finish up um, if we can, uh, Andy, with I suppose going back to the to the political content of the album in many ways, uh, and I think you've said this is potentially the most political album to date. I know, obviously, songs like Anola Gay obviously had political content referring to the atomic bomb, mm-hmm. etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, it's not the political content has been absent, but when I listen to the track that we listened to at at the top uh, or Bauhaus Staircase in some ways but certainly Anthropocene and kleptocracy in here as well Mm -hmm. kleptocracy is very angry in the lyric but very kind and very happy in in, in the music well you know what I mean accidentally we we learned or well accidentally we unconsciously ended up having this style where even when we're trying to serve up some medicine, we put a lot of sugar on it. You know? <laughs> and yeah, kleptocracy. I was fumingly angry <clears throat> about certain narcissists who have hijacked democracies. And you don't need me to name them, mm. but they still haven't gone away. We're still suffering at their hands. And I was also angry about Putin. And I was angry about, you know, Jamal Khashoggi in Saudi Arabia and you know everybody was wringing their hands going, oh shocking terrible terrible right and they went right as the dust settled right how many tanks would you like to buy can we sell you some jet fighters uh, it's you know it's I, I just I'm, politicians have always done dodgy deals in dark rooms and there's always money gone under the table it's in broad daylight now and the money's on top of the table it's making me so angry so yeah I'm uh, but it's got a cracking melody that song <laughs> It certainly does. We'll finish up by by listening to that and I'll give people uh, details of your upcoming gig here in Ireland as well. But brilliant to to speak with you this evening, Andy. Thanks so much for being with us on Arena. Very, very happy. Very glad that we're coming back uh, to play in uh, at the end of February next year. And um, thank you for playing the new songs and and saying nice things about them. Thank you for having me on. Great. That's Andy McCluskey of Orchestral Manoeuvres in the Dark. And we'll finish up with the song kleptocracy.
Kleptocracy, the title of the track there from the album Bauhaus Staircase, the new album from Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. And what a joy it was to speak to with Andy McCluskey. Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark playing the Three Olympia Theatre in Dublin on Wednesday, February the 28th, 2024. You're listening to Wednesday Night's Arena. Oliver Cromwell is really very sorry, was the five-star hit show of the Dublin Fringe Festival last year. Now it will be touring the country. Created by Exanthony, it's a tongue-in-cheek exploration of English colonialism in Ireland, described in one review as arguably the greatest, best, worst musical of all time ever, bar none. Ex-Anthony takes this epic musical on the road in October, November, touring to eight counties, nine different venues, and delighted to have Ex-Anthony in the studio with me. Now, I mean, even as even as I read that, the greatest, best, worst musical of all time ever, bar none. It's the highest compliment I could get. And it was five stars. So, you know, it all works out in the yeah. end. Let us, and, and it's back going yeah. on tour because it was so popular in, yeah. in it. In its initial run but even even the title Oliver Cromwell is really very sorry we can almost feel your tongue sticking out of your <laughs> cheek yeah. as you as you say that what brought you to the Oliver Cromwell story first of all I have been I've lived in London since 2013 and when I arrived in London it was just the it was the back end of the Olympics and there was a buzz you know people were really it was just fun and I always t- joke about how the Spice Girls were like flying on top of taxis, you know, for the Olympics. And then obviously Liz Truss happened, Brexit happened, everything happened. And the the shine dimmed mm. and the Brexit referendum happened. And I noticed this, I was doing uh, Edinburgh Fringe and I was bringing a show about Roscommon and the marriage equality referendum. And I noticed this sort of, I don't know, disconnect between Irish stories and English stories. And it really it interests me. And um I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to create a show about all of the history. 800 years. I'm going to go for it. I'm just going to go, I'm going to dive in. And the Arts Council in England actually funded me to do that. And then in the middle of that development, I went, it's a little bit too much actually going on there. So what I'll do is I'll focus in on one person. I spent a while thinking about it. And then it dawned on me one night. I, I just thought it's... Actually, it was the. It would have been around the election when Boris Johnson got in. I just thought, you know what? It has to be Oliver Cromwell because he has this... He's viewed as a tolerant, democratic figure in England and obviously yep. who he is here. Very different, very different here to Helen Connacht, the, mm. the famous phrase. Obviously, does that link into your Roscommon roots? Did the family have to cross the I, Shannon or something? I don't, know. Or do you I know, don't know. I haven't checked the records, but, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, there's a sure. like, There's a likelihood that somewhere, somewhere along the line you had. The, had you experienced that kind of conversation not that it's necessarily a pub conversation that you would have on a regular basis, let's talk about Oliver Cromwell, but had you experienced that where you heard possibly English friends talking about Cromwell in a way that you thought, is this the same guy that I learned about? Not necessarily Cromwell, but a lot since Brexit, those wounds sort of came up. You know, many people I would have met in pubs that would say, well, why don't you just come back and join the UK? Sure, that'll be easier. Having no understanding or like comments around misunderstandings around what Republic of Ireland is versus Northern Ireland versus the the UK and it would 
you know, in really odd situations at weddings, you know, in really weird places where like there's lots of Irish people around and you want to be careful. But the lack of understanding and the lack of education in England around the history here is huge. And it can be quite um, aggravating, actually, when you're trying to talk to them because they, they're very sure of their own history. There are people online at the moment commenting from England on the promotions for the show being like, well, we know about it. But they actually really don't. It's not taught. And and people listening now might think, well, obviously, Ex-Anthony is a very serious historian character <laughs> and he, he wants to really redress the imbalance in the historical record. Let us put that to the one side very quickly by listening to how 800 years is described uh, in, in, the, in the musical itself. Oliver Cromer is really very sorry. Um, this is very close to the beginning of the show, isn't it? Yes, it's the actually, opening. It's the opening number. Mm. It's the opening number. Here we have a, a section from it. So there we go. 800 years. How well do you know your neighbours? Question mark is the subtitle there. Mm. That is from the show. Oliver Cromwell is really very sorry. Ex-Anthony, um, writer and performer in the show, is, is with me in the studio this evening. What what I found interesting as I read the script and even as I listened to that, that short clip, Ex-Anthony, is, yeah, we're having great fun and we laugh at this, but you do also make some very serious points along the way. How, how did you kind of address the balance between the comedy and the funness of it and historical accuracy. Uh, when uh, myself and Odu co-writer and Sam curtis Lindsay, who also co-wrote with, with me on the show, um, we, um, we wanted to use cabaret as a way of lightening situation. And as if you see the show, you will see there's moments of cabaret where Oliver Cromwell speaks to the audience directly and meets with them, almost like in Drogheda. He's like, hello, Drogheda. So good to be here. It's me, daddy. You know, um, but also um, the lightness that cabaret brings allows us to poke fun at a history that we have. So we are poking fun at our history. Mm. You know, that's the really important bit there. There's a lot of... Um, Let's just say Oliver Cromwell's victims aren't walking around today, so it wouldn't have been right, you know. Mm. Um, but I think I'm just very ballsy. And, you know, how well do you know your neighbours? We've taken some artistic licence. Oh, yes, we have. You know, we just want to go there and have a bit of fun with it because it's a tough time at the moment with every, everything going on. You know? Yeah, because even the, that, oh, yes, we have. And I think at a later stage, it's also, oh, yes, he did. Mm. So there's there's a touch of cabaret stroke panto in the style mm. of presentation here. And there is a great irony in Oliver Cromwell, the great Puritan, being a man of the theatre. Mm-hmm. And it's true. He, you know, people, 
historically accurate with flourishes it's not Hamilton. It's definitely like a riff of Hamilton. But, mm. you know, he was an actor in university. He did play the king in university. He did jump off windows and hop on horses and eat pigeons and was a philanderer, you know, and and then became what we think from the research. And let it be known, we did a lot of research, mm. years of reading. I've read everything that there is about Oliver Cromwell and will always be interested in hearing about stuff. Um, He... he we believe, appropriated a religious movement to gain power and sway. So Puritanism was something that he kind of married into, into his wife. And that became a bit like the Brexit movement, you know, something very puritanical, very, this is what we want, this is what we're going to get. And then he saw an opening in Ireland with the rise of the Catholics and the rebellions. He wanted to then use the Irish problem as a way to leverage his power in the in England to then, you know, become even more powerful as a Republican leader. And then... As he's sort of, he actually gets malaria in Ireland, by the way, we believe. Um, When he gets back to England, he's like, well, you know, maybe I will take the crown. Maybe I will pass it on to my son. And when he dies, his son becomes king or protector. Yes. You know, and it's it's all these contradictions that we see today, you know, lockdown parties. You know, people saying one thing, doing another, and it's a tale as old as time. And I suppose the other side of it, in in terms of Cromwell, um, that puritanical thing, it was the Puritans who closed the theatres down. Um, but you give us this this sense of a man who feels hard done by, who feels he was passed over, who feels, after all, even when he died, he wasn't left resting in Untouched, his grave. No. So maybe explain that bit and 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 go into that idea of the hard-done-by-man, which he he presents himself as. I think we were really interested in the idea of cancel culture, you know, um, the notes app apology, people who feel, you know, there is this whole, especially on the right with men in particular, who feel like this is the worst time alive to be a man. When will they stop cancelling us, you know? And this is a man who who sees himself, who who, who does things, loses control, and then is aware that he has a PR disaster on his hands and realises that this might not go down well in the history books. And then um, in the show, when he does come back to face the audience, he sings to them and apologises and also kind of thinks, so are you... Are you going to thank me now? Am like, I okay? I've done it. Like you know, <laughs> does he use a bit of Gaelic? I think he does. He might use a bit of Gaelic. A reference there to historical moments previously. <laughs> um, yeah, and the gratitude may or may not be there. You know, mm. and we really work the audience. Uh, the audience actually root for him until this moment. They kind of go, "Well, maybe he was just a bit <laughs> mistaken or whatever." Mm. And he is so fury infuriated by the idea that people just don't get how good he was. You know, and how democracy was something that he kind of got right and you know sure he practiced colonialism in Ireland so they could get it right later on you know what I mean like he's still deluded about his own actions Um, you're you're turning it around the country I'm guessing I mean there's a there's a I suppose there's a fairly strong attitude towards Cromwell in this country let's face it I take your point that you're also poking at fun even by using the term 800 years in the clip that we heard you know you're poking fun at the way we treat our own history have you thought about bringing the show to the UK well I mean it was made like I think in a kind of collaboration between the UK and Ireland both arts councils funded Mm. it you know and I always joke about the Arts Council in England funding it as reparations. Like, I mean, they were really into it at the beginning. And I also worked with Hopper and Honey, who are an Aboriginal femme uh, circus company from Australia. And they really pushed us to, like, go deep into the colonialism. But we have tested the show in the UK when we were starting out. It was during lockdowns and stuff, and we could test things out. 
and we tested it out in cabaret spaces. So you'd have a quite, hmm. you know, you, you would have a chance there to try out some of the best jokes, but you'd also get a very cosmopolitan audience, you know, and a lot of audiences that wouldn't just be English, yeah, you know, full stop. But there, there, I have not yet experienced what it would be like to bring it to a non-London audience. And I really want to, and we're looking yeah. at it. We're looking right. at it, but we think it's, it would we will need to almost prepare ourselves because I think that in the, w- the way that England is at the moment with the complicated situation that it has with politics, I think it could be quite um, a bitter pill in a way. Just finally, because um, I mean, you've said it in many ways in, in our chat already, you've queered the history here, but there's a couple of meanings to what you're talking about there really, isn't there? Yeah, uh, we when we say queer, people always ask us, what does that mean? I don't even know myself sometimes. I, I think really what it is is it's actually taking a sort of an outsider point of view, which is the queer culture, sort of underground queer clubbing, partying and drag and cabaret and putting the history that we're interested in into that. And that that's what comes out of it. So, for example, when we're looking at a scene, which is a 10 minute suite of Oliver Cromwell in the House of Commons, it's not the House of Commons, it's the house of commons so that all the politicians are strutting and yeah. posing and, and voguing H-A-U-S. exactly the, the house yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's very you know kind of like cute and sexy and all that kind of stuff and you know that's just a natural inclination that we would have as sort of lgbtq plus performers but it does serve a purpose to shed light in a way that you might not have seen before and you know i'm, I'm interested to see how that you know as there are more uh, queer artists coming up because it really is you know the Arts Council and the the organisations arts organisations are really supporting that viewpoint it's interesting to see how that will filter down into the mainstream you know the Abbey are doing the queer fella in at mm. Christmas that's an all female non-male cast playing men um, I'm curious to see how it, how it sort of trickles down Um but for, for me, it's just, it's really about that outside eye that you might not have seen before, I think. Well, listen, thanks for coming in and talking to us about me. it this evening. That's Ex Anthony. And Oliver Cromwell is really very sorry. Tours nationwide on tour at the moment and on tour right through until the end of November, 29th of November. And you'll get full details on Ex Anthony. X, and then take the A off Anthony and put X in. Xanthony.com. A Mockness Parade can be a pretty scary experience at any time of the year, but a Mockness Parade at Halloween is sure to frighten the life out of young and old alike who happen upon it either on the streets of Galway on October the 29th or in Dublin on October the 30th. This year's parade is called Canova La Loba and it's inspired by the legend of La Loba, a wild wolf woman who collects and preserves the bones of animals, humans and gods that are in danger of being lost to the world. La Loba sings them back to life by moonlight. Mockness have a new designer, Paul MacDonald, and I'm joined by Paul along with Mockness director James Reardon uh, from Galway this evening. Um, James, this is the first Halloween parade. I think it's in four years, is it, since you've actually had a Halloween parade? Must be great to be back and out on the streets at this time of year. Hello, Sean. Yes, uh, we're all very excited. It has been uh, a few years coming and the uh, electricity, the energy in the room as we're putting the final touches on the parade is 
is palpable. So yeah, we're excited. <laughs> I'm sure as you heard the song, the Carasadina's song that we were listening to there about this um, heroine of the supernatural shadows, you must have thought, that's not, that's not unlike our pal Canova <laughs> well. Loba. Explain, Canova, the Irish word for bones, explain La Loba. People will know it, I think, when they hear it, but uh, just get a reminder to who, or who she is or was. Yeah, so it's based on uh, kind of a Slavic folklore and indeed South American folklore of this old uh, wild woman, this bone collector who stalks through the world collecting these bones of people we're almost in danger of forgetting. And then in this ritualised act, she sings uh, over these bones and in this incantation with her wolf beside her, she, she brings them back to life and onto the streets for our uh, our Canovala Love Parade this October. Uh, yeah, and, and I guess um, for you, Paul, um, when, you, when you hear then that, that you have that particular side of things, a wild wolf woman, and the canava, the, the bones of all these uh, skeletons or whatever, it, that is great visual fare for a designer. No, absolutely. Um, uh, like you said it yourself, that um, mockness on Halloween is something that's going to uh, scare the living life out of people. Um, but it, it, the, that motif goes through everything. Um, the, uh, as you said it yourself, she, uh, she raised it through the moonlight. Um, bones and moonlight was one of the big things that inspired everything. Um, uh, throughout the period, everything there's loads of things that are made out of bones. There's, car, uh, there's uh, elements of bone in costume. There's a mound of bones, and uh, there's flame on top of uh, bones. Um, uh, so that motif goes out throughout everything. Yeah, uh, and I guess the other side of things is James. Um, we will be. It's October the 29th, so the clocks will have gone back that hour. So we will be in the deep dark of night. I guess um, isn't that would, fortuitous? It, yeah, <laughs> it'll be pitch black when you, when you're parading around the street of both cities in fact yeah it will yes so we have uh, we've got lights and flares and smoke and fire and uh, we've got lots of you know that kind of mothness that the aesthetic that the company's known for really bringing that kind of otherworldly energy to the streets so nightfall really does suit the work and uh, you know Paul and I very much talked about the the designs of the story being complemented by the moonlight and the nighttime and and what light can do on the street. Yeah, and I guess the wonderful thing about it is, I mean, when I think of some of the daytime parades, I suppose the summertime parades that I have seen of of Mocknesses, Paul, you you you, I associate a lot of vibrant colours with that but you can go for all of that maybe the luminosity of certain um, fluorescent shades at night but the sheer strength of just white on black will oh. really work for you no absolutely um, it's, it's, it's actually more the shadows mm. uh, it's the stuff you don't see and um, like we've created Beautiful structures, beautiful sculptures, wa- walking uh, sculptures, really. Um, and y- y- there is colour there, but, um, but uh, it's it's the shadows that they create. Even what we try to do is we've got a six foot tall uh, wolf and uh, we try and create the shadows. So the shadows refla- um, uh, go up along the buildings of, of the Galway when we're passing through. So it's not just what the people are seeing it's the environment that we're going through that we uh, it's, it, it, the street is part of the performance mm. uh, that we try and do as well oh, but, love, yeah, it's all in the shadows yeah I love the I love the sense of that that are the idea of that that the shadows will be cast up onto the buildings around the streets so that it's not just what's happening on the streets uh, no. in front of your eyes You're, you kind of will be surrounded by these ghostly images and, and ghostly figures is there a is there an, a, a narrative or a story because the La Loba is it is quite a strong, has quite a strong narrative to it, um, James. Is there a narrative that's running through the length of the parade? So I think when, you know, 
coming up with the story this year, it's it's quite hard to tell um, narratives on the street mm. when there's very little text and everything is moving past you when you get this this moment of magic and then it's gone. And the, what the Loloba legend framing allows us to do is to take inspirations or, or, or things that I, I, I love and that I've brought to the table uh, from all over the world and from all times. And they're the bones that she's brought back to life. So, you know, I have looked a lot at Slavic um, influences and inspirations in this year's parade. Uh, but also we have Tuhudadanen in there. We have some Weimar Republic in there. You know, we have, uh, uh, we work with dance troops, with drummers, with brass ensemble. We have stilt walkers, there's puppeteers. You know, there's all manner of uh, form. And within that, there's there's a lot of different flavours. So mm. really what you're watching is not a kind of zombified version of things gone by, but actually these... Uh, people who were devout to certain gods or these certain times in history that are brought back into beautiful technicolour. You know, our costume designer, Cherie White, has done incredible work. There's, you know, 120 people going to be on the streets, all in really sumptuous costumes. Mm. But it it isn't that this is a kind of a... uh, Bones are the way in, but actually what you're watching is really things that have gone past in their glory. Yeah, so there's a sense of there's some kind of sense of tradition within it uh, as as well. What about what I'll be hearing, or what those standing on the sides of the streets will be hearing? How, how strong a musical element? I know you've mentioned the drummers there, James, but how strong uh, a musical element outside of that are, is there? Oh, so it's all newly composed music uh, by Anna Malarkey, who is a, a singer and composer, and uh, sound designer Chris Summers. And so they have taken influence from uh, Gregorian chant. There's, again, a Slavic sense of some of the drumming is in a 7-8 time. We have a lot of electronic opera kind of mixed in together with a little bone shaking now and then, I suppose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's all new music, newly composed, and uh, she's done an incredible job. And so, you know, it, it shifts between... Uh, absolutely choreographed dancing and to kind of improvisational one-on-one with audience members. You know, it's a real journey of light and dark mm. and of high and low. And it's a real joy, actually, to be part of a company that, that relishes that kind of sense of, of energy. Yeah, and, and Paul, as, as James describes it there again, two things really jumped out at me. First of all, that idea of the, the, the Gregorian chant or the choral side of things and coming from that Slavic tradition, I mean, people may remember the sound of the the choir La Voix Bulgare, the Bulgarian voices, which it wouldn't be that far away from that Slavic kind of style of of music, and then that seven eight rhythm, which will be kind of tripping you up. But you know, it's it's not like a very nice even two or three or four seven. You you kind of it's like an extra step that you have to fit in. How has that informed the visuals that you designed for things, Paul? Uh, but with having uh, all these gods and um, the, you just said there, but the, uh, uh, stuff tripping you up. Mm. Uh, and what, what Markness does very well is uh, we don't just present something to you that um, uh, we ex- uh, you, you have to work with it. Uh, the audience has to uh, be part of it and accept what's happening in front of them. Um, so it, them tripping up on music or it's not fully, ex- uh, uh, you know, it just getting you at the edge mm. of you. Um, uh, it's it's. It's very typically Markness. Um, but with the Gregorian chant, um, and uh, there's one particular float that comes to mind um, with the, uh, these robed zealots. Um, uh, we're not going to give too much away, mm. but uh, a lot of it is um, 
like pictures through moments in time actually um, there's a timelessness throughout the whole of it but we uh, uh, but there's an elegance and uh, these moments in time I think there'll be p- people will recognise um, uh, pieces throughout Irish culture um, uh, uh, within the country itself uh, stuff that has come from uh, Europe as well um, uh, so the, the music it, it, it's very much with Markness the design and the way myself and uh, James work is collaborative so I would be bouncing off one thing and James would be uh, um, mm. uh, bouncing off one thing off me so um, we would come up with different ideas uh, uh, come together and uh, then we would uh, very much like what, you, what you've just said um, the, the vibe of this or the, uh, the music behind this uh, I, would, uh, that I that would send something in me and I yeah. would send go down one direction and I, James I, would then go another and that again I'm coming back to that Gregorian chant which can ha- can have two possibilities there's loads of possibilities within it James but the two that are striking me right now obviously um, are there's a kind of as Paul describes it there a calmness and a, a kind of uh, almost a, a, a you know philosophical um, mel- melodic style to it that can make you relax back it also has a, a kind of a haunting nature to it I suppose it's important to remember that particularly around the song we just heard all Souls Night this idea of the souls wandering in and around Halloween time it's it's it has a comforting aspect to it as well as a, a potentially frightening or scary side to it. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, there's the communal act of coming together on the streets for this one night only, this, I suppose, in, in effect, a resurrection or a coming together and, and a bringing to life of something that I think people, you know, I, I have been in Mockness Praise before and you can see it in people that this this energy permeates out from the work to the people who then go off to their lives and it permeates out. From, like, it's a, it's a really special, uh, you know, and I'm come kind of from theatre and, and normally kind of work more in theatre and there's mm. something about tens of thousands of people coming together and with the music and the light and the sheer energetic force of our performers that comes in waves towards the people of Galway and we're so delighted to be bringing it uh, to Dublin as part of the Bram Stoker this year too because it, it fills people up. So although the 7-8 is a little bit disconcerting and I'm kind of into that and so was Anna when we talked about it. Mm. Um, there, You know, it's not a kind of, as you say, it's not a, a time signature that we hear a lot in this maybe side of the world within the music and so it does put you off kilter yeah. a little bit. But in a um, good way. But mm. in a, yeah, yeah, in a good way. Yeah. Um, and similarly with the brass. And yeah, yeah the, the music well, is... Okay, great. it sounds like and it will be a visual and auditory spectacle on the night. Absolutely. So on the two nights involved, that's Canaveral Aloba, the Machnus Halloween Parade in Galway on Sunday next, beginning at the university at half past five, snaking around the city. The following day, La Loba will be in Dublin at 7pm, beginning in Moore Street. Full information on machnus.com. And thanks to James Reardon and Paul McDonald. And let me say it correctly, Kira Sedin is the woman who was singing for us Um that wonderful song All Souls Night my apologies on my mispronunciation of her name but that is our lot for this Wednesday evening here on Arena Liam Murphy and Paula Shields research Dolly Hamilton was the broadcast coordinator Carol O'Hare was on sound this evening and tonight's programme produced by Sinead Egan talk to you tomorrow night once again 7 o'clock here on RT Radio 1